Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. I sit down with MMA mind and a man with a boxing fight in his future against Diego Sanchez, Dan Hardy, discussing boxing and MMA and his return to training. And I sit down with Bellator president Scott Coker about back-to-back shows in Hawaii with two titles on the line. Dan Hardy, before we even begin, I just want to say about your boxing match, Diego Sanchez, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed because if people don't know, <laughs> by the way, people don't know or unaware, I have the pit bull, Thiago Alves, on my show. He said, I want one more MMA match before I call it a career. And I said, man, who? And he goes, I'd love to fight Dan Hardy. That'd be great. Dan comes on the next week. I asked Dan about it. Dan's like, great, man. I love Thiago Alves. That'd be a banger. That'd be one. We handed it to you. It would have been <laughs> Dan Hardy versus Thiago Alves brought to you by Unlocking the Cage. Turn around, you're fighting Diego Sanchez. It, it hurts a little right here, Dan. It just it, – it hurts a little right here. Yeah. Sorry, Jimmy. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I, I knew that it would disappoint you. As soon as I was signing the contract, I knew it yeah. would disappoint you. The, right. the truth is, man, this it. one was in the pipeline. When you brought up Thiago Alves, this one was in the pipeline. I'm not getting in shape for one fight, though. So, you know, that one's still on the table. I've got a lot of respect for Thiago, as you know. And we could do boxing, kickboxing, MMA, whatever he likes. I'm still down for it. Diego's a good starting point, though, you know. That, that feels like it's not you, it's me. It feels like, no, no, I was already <laughs> dating somebody when I started talking to you. It's not that. No, this is what it feels like. So let us in on this. You said it was already in the pipeline. How did this come about? What was the process for this fight? Tell me what's going on, man. Well, <clears throat> there's, been, there's been a few discussions with a couple of different promoters, and, and Diego's name keeps coming up. I think I keep mentioning his name to promoters that I'm speaking to, and he keeps mentioning my name to promoters that he's speaking to. So I think we're both destined to destined to face off at some point under some rule set. Um, th- this one just made sense. You know, it's, it, it's, it's boxing and neither of us have boxed before. And I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, it's a good starting point because, you know, we can go 16 ounce to four ounce to no gloves at all. We can do whatever rule sets he wants, but this one seems to make the most sense to start with. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think it'd be fun to see two, you know, two guys that are, that are known for having good scraps uh, do nothing but punch each other. Uh, how did it feel, or and why did it come about? The what, what I was 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 wondering about when you announced the fight is uh, the the exhibition. It, it's an exhibition, like what was it, two minute rounds? How did all that come about, as opposed to an actual boxing match? Uh, how did that come about, and why? Do you know? Yeah, it's it's the format of the show. They're they're doing it's it's um it's it's not a uh, like a like a, a British boxing border control sanctioned event. Um, so Ricky Hatton will be doing the similar mm. thing. He'll be fighting under shorter rounds with 16 ounce gloves as well. Um, it, it's just, it's just a different format of, of, um, uh, of event. Just so I guess to get around a lot of the, like the rules and regulations and stuff that would be required if we were doing, you know, full 10 ounce gloves and three minute rounds. Uh, speaking of course, to Dan Hardy, the outlaw boxing Diego Sanchez. Um, that's in Manchester. Yeah. I want to make sure I get yeah. that right. Yeah, that's in Manchester. Diego Sanchez, one of those guys, when he it was announced he was going to fight Kevin Lee in Eagle FC 46, I thought, man, Diego's going to get murdered. And he ended up losing that fight, but in my opinion, had a better showing than I expected. This idea that every time you completely count Diego Sanchez out, he takes a beating, he'll come back and win. And you go, God, how does it? You know, it's like every time you write his obituary, he comes back with something. What is it like getting ready for a guy like that? Are you worried about which version to get ready for, stuff like that? Well, I mean, I mean, the good thing is I have a good memory of Diego in his prime, so I'm getting ready for that guy. You know, I, I was I was there live when he fought Clay Guida at Burl at the Palms, 
and you know remembering him kick Clay Guida in the head and, and knock him to the canvas it you know I've always been a fan of Diego we, we've always had cross words back and forth but that's just kind of the fun of the fight game I, I've got nothing against him necessarily uh, as an individual um, I mean obviously a few of us were quite vocal when he got tangled up with uh, with that that sorcerer that he was working with for a period of time but since, you know honestly since since that since he separated from him he just seems a lot better, like psychologically, physically. He looked really good in the Kevin Lee fight, I thought, and, and I hold Kevin Lee in high regard. Um, so I'm expecting a, a good Diego that's coming prepared. And, he, you know, he's, he's got no concern of me kicking him or elbowing him in the face, so he can take a lot more chances in this one. What's it like going from, uh, you know, you were a kickboxer, MMA, and then boxing, which is limited but grueling because it's so limited i mean they throw so many punches more around than than a mixed martial artist or a kickboxer is used to doing you're only using half your body but you're using it a lot what has the training been like and the cardio getting ready for this man you know it, it's quite it's quite nice for it to be so focused to be honest you know i i do boxing specific sessions i always have done and i used to train with a lot of boxers back in the day when i was preparing for mma fights and and i i, I was always a little envious that they had they had so little to focus on technically that they could really focus on making yeah. those small technical things really, really good. And, you know, with, with MMA, even if you're a really good kickboxer, you can look a mess because you're being grappled and, and you know, trying to defend takedowns. With this being boxing, it allows me to focus entirely on one skill set that I've always had a, you know, always had a, a passion for learning anyway. Um, and then there, there are a few boxes that I follow specifically that I feel are pushing boundaries of boxing or even, you know, the, the likes of Gennady Golovkin, they're, they're like reinvigorating some old styles of fighting from back in the 1920s. And I'm learning from these guys all the time. So to be able to, I've always wanted to box. It's one thing I've never done. And to be able to step in there with someone that I know is going to come for a scrap, I can test a few things. I've got a few theories I want to work, a few, a few techniques I want to test. And I've also got a bunch of young fighters that are coming up underneath me as well. And I want to set an example for them. You know, explain to them that doing the basics really well is what wins fights. Uh, when you, and of course, speaking to Dan Hardy, the outlaws, me boxing, Diego Sanchez, when getting ready for this fight, and one thing I get asked quite a bit about me, because, you know, I, I grappled today, we did a nonstop thing where it was submission only, so I was grappling for like an hour straight. Great, wonderful. Uh, people ask me all the time, what's it like training now? And I'm 45 years old, and I go, I can still get to 100. The next day I'm at 50, not 80, like I was when I was 25, right? That idea of I don't recover, like I can still get there. I can still, you know, grapple with the young bucks. But the next day I'm like, eh, I have trouble getting out of bed. That camp as you get older, how do things change, man? Well, of course, you know, I mean, re recovery is, a, you know, recovery is a, a, a big part of it. But, I mean, recovery is very different now than it was back in the day. You know, when we were training for fights, no one was doing ice baths and stuff like that. You'd do ice baths just to show how tough you were. But it was there was no no purpose of recovery. There was no, you know, like massage or physiotherapy or cupping or dry needling. People think you were wasting your time and you should be running up a mountain carrying a log. Like we're from the old school. So we didn't do any kind of any yeah. kind of, uh, you know, recovery protocol. So now to be able to, to like approach a training camp with a more mature mindset and to be having less to focus on, you know, I don't have to be on the mats getting twisted up four or five times a week by a lot of good grapplers. And that's really where I picked up most of my injuries. I, I'm, I'm a striker from, from pretty much from when I was born, you know, like this is what I do. It was always the grappling and the wrestling where I picked up all the minor injuries and stuff. So I, 
for, for me, to be honest, I think this is going to be a really enjoyable training camp where I'm not going to have any monsters trying to twist my head off. I'll get back to that in the next training camp, perhaps if it's MMA. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still looking forward to that. I still want that to happen. Don't break <laughs> my heart twice. Anyway, uh, you talked about Diego Sanchez, Clay Guida. Clay Guida fighting this Saturday, 40 years old, looking for a new contract with the UFC. Once again, you and I have commentated together. We got into this at about the same time. Um, usually guys that fight like Clay Guida don't fight till they're 40. They, just, <laughs> they don't make it. Usually the slick guys, the, the Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather, they don't get hit much. They, can, they, they go a lot later. What is it with him that he had the war with Diego Sanchez a decade ago and is still like beating relevant guys, beat Leo Santos his last time out? What's the magic sauce, man, that you've seen? You know, with, with Clay Guida, I think he's a very unique individual as well. I think anyone that meets Clay would admit that he's a very unique individual. I, I he think is. One he's an interesting kept, cat, man. Right? I mean, I have a memory of Clay Guida standing on the poolside at the Pearl of the Palms when he was fighting Diego that night, headphones on, just like in the zone with music, like three hours before he was fighting, just pouring sweat. He's a very, very unique individual. So we can't base anything that we do in our lives on, on what Clay Guida does. I mean, if we all moved into motorhomes and got big Lebowski tattoos, it wouldn't make any difference to us. Clay Guida's a special dude. But one thing I will say that's kept his head above water is he's always in shape. He's always conditioned. You never mm. see Clay Guida lazy and out of shape. You always see him. He's, he's running. He's smiling. He's happy. He's enthusiastic. He's out in the sunshine catching fish and doing all kinds of stuff. I just think he lives life to the fullest, and that's what's kept him young. And I also think that he's, you know, you, you, you know, win or lose, no matter what happens in Clay Guida's fight, he's running laps of the octagon. You know, like I, I watched his fight against uh, Charles Oliveira the other day from, from my research, my breakdown show. And while Charles Oliveira is on the outside celebrating with his team, Guida's just doing laps inside the octagon. You know what I mean? He's like, I think that mentality keeps him going. He's, he's, an, he's, a, he's a phenomenon, really. Uh, speaking to Dan Hardy, the outlaw boxing, Diego Sanchez coming up in Manchester. Uh, let's transition a little bit and talk about that. Ricky Hatton uh, fighting the same card as you. I, I assume you're a fan. As everybody of your age, oh, yeah. my age, saw Ricky Hatton come. Yeah. Ricky Fatten was his nickname because he would get so <laughs> badly out of shape in between fights. And much like Riddick Bowe, who I'm sure you saw just like I did. Man, I'm a little bit older, but I'm sure you saw Riddick Bowe. It eroded his ability to compete you as a coach do you tell guys about when we talk about clay guida and you said well he never really got out of shape how much is it an erosion of your skills to have to get back in shape every time it is it's an erosion of your skills because of course you you know you're, you're gaining weight which is not good for your body physiologically you're carrying weight that you're not used to carrying so when you start training camp and I mean, I used to do it. You know, I was fighting at 170. If I started training camp over 200 pounds, I, I felt like I was carrying a backpack full of rocks. It's just not natural weight because it doesn't belong on my frame. Um, and the other thing as well is the more time that you spend in training camp getting your weight down, the less time you have to work on skills. So you, you're basically robbing yourself of time for, for you know, for, for evolution. Like a lot of guys, especially if you get out of shape, that means you're not training between training camps. You know, so so then you, you're just burning time up. Like the ones that are fully invested are the ones that show up a few days after they've fought and they're ready to keep learning. And and that's that's the ethic at my gym. That's what I want from all of these guys. Like We don't do massive weight cuts. You know, we want to stay as close to our weight really as we can without being unhealthy. And 
and you know stay focused on being a student and not being an athlete you know people get lost in, in being an athlete too much being instagram athletes but you know be a martial artist yeah. that's what we all are martial artists they train every day they think martial arts every day they think self-improvement every day and I, I think if we if we get too close to professional sports we kind of lose some of that um so i'm trying to bring the martial arts mentality back into my gym a little bit uh, speaking of British boxers, somebody having their supposed, I'm going to air quotes this 100%, retirement fight, uh, Tyson Fury. First off, let's talk about that. You as an analyst know there's no such thing as a fight retirement. I believe it when they're out for 10, 20 years. Uh, if you were a betting man, how much would you bet he comes back into the ring again after this weekend at some point? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> I don't buy the retirement thing for a second. He's too skilled. He's too um, he's too likable for the fans. He's too good in front of the camera. You know, I mean, he's a big personality. You, you can't find a quiet place to retire to when you're a big personality like that. His dad's the same. You know, like like John Fury. I've done a few uh, bits with him for the media. What a fan, fascinating individual. But he's never going to go away quietly. You know, he's he's never he's always going to be present. And Tyson Fury will, will be the same. And with, you know, with the money in the heavyweight division right now, with the dominance that he's had, I, I just think, he'll, you know, that he'll always be he'll always be one foot back in the ring, especially if the likes of, you know, Francis Ngannou become a, a possible opponent. He's going to definitely want that that payday. Uh, how much do you think that fight might happen? Joe Rogan said that he would like to see um, Kamaru Usman take on Canelo Alvarez. I think that is an absolutely... Terrible matchup. I wouldn't favor it because I, don't, I think it'll be kind of one-sided. Of those two, let's say Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou, and let's say Canelo Alvarez for, uh, versus Kamar Usman. Of those two, which one would you rather see and why? Well, I would rather see I would rather see the Ngannou-Tyson Fury fight just because I feel like Ngannou's got, got fight-changing power regardless of yeah. the gloves or the rule set. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying that he's going to be outbox Tyson Fury and I'm not saying that, that uh, you know, that Tyson Fury won't be able to take some of those shots that Ngannou's got, but there's far greater chance of Ngannou cracking Tyson Fury and knocking him out than Kamaru Usman being able to get anywhere near to Canelo Alvarez. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, like, I love Kamaru yeah. and I think he's done a really fantastic job of refining his striking, especially under Trevor Whitman. You know, his last couple of performances have really shown how much better he is as a striker. But I, I, I obsess with of Canelo Alvarez's fights. And I often go back to watching MMA after I've been binging on Canelo and think to myself, what must he think when he's watching these fights? Yeah. I love Gaethje and, and, uh, and Michael Chandler, but Canelo Alvarez must have been laughing his ass off watching those two guys throwing down because they make so many mistakes. They're so hittable. It's, it's a, people don't understand that Canelo's got a very refined skill set. Like, you can bring Canelo into mixed martial arts and he's going to struggle with 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 everybody in the top 10 top 15 no doubt most guys on the on the world's weight roster would run circles around him but you put boxing gloves on him and and you put him in a in a square circle there's not a person on the ufc roster i don't care what weight class i don't think there's a person on the ufc i, I still fancy him against Ngannou, to be honest yeah i mean he's oh. just so good he's just so good and, and golovkin's not far behind if it, if it wasn't for his age what's that like to bring this all together, getting ready for a boxing match. I'm sure you're bringing in high-level guys, sparring and, you know, real boxing gyms. What's it like? Because I remember training in a boxing gym myself, and, you know, you got decent MMA hands. You go in there, you go, holy crap, these are decent hands. What's that level up like in training, man? 
you know, the, the thing that the thing that changes predominantly for me is the pace of things. Like in MMA, the pace feels like it's constantly rolling. Like even when you're even when you when you when you make contact with somebody, the fight doesn't slow down or stop. But in in a sparring match, you kind of feel like it's a bit stop start. It's a bit like you you start engaging, then all of a sudden there's a tie up and someone's leaning on somebody else, and then you break away and there's a bit of posturing, a bit of moving, and then there's an exchange and then there's a tie up. It's very rare that you get you get a boxing match where two guys are just willing to stand in the pocket and trade. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing for me is learning that that change of pace because you touch me in, a, in an MMA fight and you're in my range still. I'm still going to elbow and knee you. Whereas boxing, it becomes immediately like a disengagement, you know, and it's that's that's a that's an adaptation I've got to make. But to be honest, I feel like it, it, it kind of suits my style anyway, because I'm quite a thinking fighter, especially now as, as I'm a bit older. And it's, it's going to be Diego that's going to be the wild one in there. So I'm going to be picking shots and, you know, and looking to, 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 to you know, outbox him. I, I want to show people that I'm, I'm a good boxer. That's my priority. Well, I appreciate you not just dropping knowledge, which I always appreciate. I love catching up with you, as I always do. But it, this, this numbs a little bit of the pain for you not taking the fight that I feel like we set up for you, Dan. <laughs> thank you so much, bud. Best of luck in your fight. Best of luck in your training, my man. Thank you, brother. Always good talking to you. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. A very special guest all the way from Hawaii. That's right. Bellator President Scott Coker. Welcome, my man. Hey, nice to be on here, Jimmy. Uh, always great having you. So you have back-to-back shows, one tonight, one Saturday night. Uh, before we get into the specifics of the shows themselves, what's the advantages and what are the challenges of having back-to-back shows, man? Well, I tell you, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's always challenging just to do any fight, let alone doing two fights in a row. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, coming to Hawaii is a, is a special occasion because, you know, we have to bring so much stuff and barge so much stuff over, over, over the Pacific to get here and to do it right and to do it at the, at the quality level that, you know, that we, that we run with. So uh, we said since we're here, uh, let's do it both. Let's do it both nights. And this is something that we established, I want to say, three, four years ago. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we, we've been doing the Friday night, uh, you know, free for the military. And now we're adding first responders and medical personnel and they get in for free. So if you just come in, show your ID, you get into the Blaisdell Arena for free tonight. And uh, that is absolutely awesome. But that that Hawaiian crowd, I mean, y- you go back even further than I do in MMA and combat sports. Hawaii used to be one of the meccas, it still is, of combat sports. So many great fighters. Jesus Lord Camp was out there, BJ Penn from out there, Super Brawl, Icon, Rumble on the Rock. What's like what is it like to kind of bring big MMA back to Hawaii, man? How has that been? Man, I'll tell you, we we are being embraced and people love it. And I I always I've always felt that Hawaii uh, has accepted martial arts as part of their culture. And uh, really I think it goes back to when martial arts migrated into America. Uh, it all stopped in Hawaii, and you know there's been so many great schools here, great fights here, and way before even MMA, there was great kickboxing here in the 70s and 80s. Benny Arquitas fought here in the 60s. Uh, they had uh, a fighter, I believe his name is Teddy Lamont Senior. He fought Joe Lewis, the Karate Star, 
uh, in the 60s, early 70s. I mean, it's just been part of their culture, and I think they embrace it, and uh, they've embraced us, and it just feels great to be here in Hawaii. So let's start off with the first card tonight. I'm with Scott Coker, of course, president and CEO of Bellator. Uh, Juliana Velasquez, undefeated, 12-0, and your flyweight champ. She's defending her title against Liz Carmouche. Juliana, one of those homegrown Bellator talents. She spent most of her career in Bellator. She's looked absolutely fantastic, undefeated. Uh, what do you think of this title fight, man? Well, I tell you, um, when we signed Liz, we said, look, you know, we, we want to get you to the point where we can get you a couple fights and, and get you into, into title contention right away. And I think Liz knows she's got to do it now. There, there's a sense of urgency. I can see it in her eyes that, the, you know, the opportunity is now. And uh, this is a big fight for her because it could turn her career, you know, one way or the other because, you know, it's, it's you know, Juliana is somebody that's not going to be an easy fight. She's our world champion. She's really tough long, long limbs and very skilled in, in stand-up and striking and, and, the, and, the, and the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's like she's a complete fighter. So Liz is going to have her hands full, but I can tell you, I can see it in her eyes. She really wants this, and uh, time is of the essence uh, for Liz. You know, we, we were talking a little bit um, previously yesterday about PFL and the free agent signings they're trying to make, and I was talking about the free agency uh, moves that have been made in Bellator over the years. When I was there since then, and I always said the ones that came in hungry did well. The ones that came in thinking with a lot of ego, oh, man, I'm just going to wreck house here and da da da, they don't do it. It's the ones that come in with kind of real focus and fire and desire do well in free agency. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, you know what? I, I would agree. And uh, I think that a lot of the fighters that came over that, uh, you know, from different leagues, they, they want to make a statement, right? They want to show that, you know, that they, they still have it and they still can take it to the next level. And, and I think Phil Davis was one of the guys early on that came over, Ryan Bader early on came over. And those two guys have, you know, had, had great fights here where they've lost some and won some. But overall, they, they've, they've, I think those two especially have done uh, really well in Bellator. Uh, speaking, of course, to Scott Coker, the head guy over at Bellator, the Bantamweight Tournament, the Grand Prix, Danny Sabatello, 11-1, and Jornel Lugo, 8-0, and so 19 combined wins, only one loss in this matchup. Danny Sabatello, I've called a couple of his fights here in Florida. He's one of those guys that say, if you want to know how good he is, just ask him, he'll tell you. You know, he's just <laughs> confident. You, know, you, could, you could say arrogant, right? How do you much do you oh. kind of like that attitude in a fighter, man? Oh come on, man! You got to have that swagger. If you if you're in the fight business, <laughs> it's a tough business to be in, as you know. And yes. there's some real, real dangerous, you know, things flying around that cage. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, it's, it's, you know, people people are trying to punch you and submit you and take you down. And there's so many things to defend, and strategy is so important, uh, especially at this level. But uh, you should have seen the little. I don't, I don't want to say altercation, but there's a little bantering between those two uh, in the back after the weigh-ins today. Yeah. Uh, uh, yesterday, and I tell you, it was uh, it was it was really really comical. I have to send it to you guys to, for you to enjoy. But Danny Sabatello, one of those guys, man, sunglasses indoors. He like plays up that cocky attitude. And is it one of those things where, as a promoter, you got to run with it and have fun with it and, and and find the right foil for him in a sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, he's not you know he's not doing anybody harm. By the way, he looks and his attitude and his. You know, his smack talking. To me, I embrace it. And then, you know, if the other guy's like that, too, then it's great. But if he's not, that's fine, too. You know, the, the better man will win or the better woman will win in the cage. 
And uh, but there's nothing wrong with a little little promotion, little 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 John back and forth. I, I think it's fun. Uh, what's your attitude about that? I'm very curious. Um, Anderson Silva, of course, uh, Chael P's son in the American Gangster. One time I was talking to Chael about that fight, and he said, people like Anderson need people like me. Like, people think that, you know, mm. he's the good guy and I'm the bad guy, but he doesn't talk like I talk. Like, I do his work for him. And at the end of the day, really, Anderson was like, hey, great. If, if, if Chael will do the talking, wonderful. That's less that I have to do. What do you think about that attitude, man? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'd love it if they both start John like Chael. But, you know, if you got one and uh, and, and if you got one and the other one doesn't do it, then I'll take it too. But, you know, some, sometimes people are very quiet. I mean, look at a guy like Hoist Gracie, right? When he, yeah. when he was in having his run back in the day and the pioneer of the sport, he wasn't out there, John, and talking smack. He just went and did business, right? So to me, or on the other end of the spectrum, you got guys like Conor McGregor who smack talk better than anybody else. So, you know, it takes all types to make the uh, the, the wild world of MMA work. And, uh, you know, when you, but when you get two smack talkers, you know, jawing at each other, I, I think it makes it a lot of fun and creates a lot of interest. Uh, speaking, of course, to Scott Coker from Bellator, let's switch gears a little bit before we move on to Saturday. A great card in San Jose. Great fights. Very, very big. One question for you, man. How good is Pitbull, especially in rematches? He's so mentally tough. What did you think of his performance against AJ McKee, man? You know, listen, I, I'm glad I wasn't not a, wasn't a judge. I would not want to be a judge or referee in that fight or any fight that was, you know, like that fight. Um, we'll, we'll leave that to the commission. In saying that, I think what Pitbull told me before the fight, he said, look, I let him come at me too much last time. This time, I'm going to go sideways and I'm going to go forward. And I'm going to try to jam him up. And that was a strategy. And I think there's some parts of that fight that, yeah, it worked a lot. And then, uh, you know, uh, AJ, who's a super talented, you know, kid, you know, his, his, I think his strategy was to go in there and start doing some of the, you know, the wild things he did, that he does, coming at different angles at him, take him down, try to control him. But, you know, he couldn't finish him. So, uh, you know, to me, it's like, you know, a, a fight that, you know, it's, it, was, it was very different than the first fight, completely different. Yeah. And so, to me, I, I was really, really surprised because I thought that, Someone's going to get submitted or someone's going to get knocked out within his five rounds. But it didn't happen. Uh, but I tell you, that's just a testament to Pitbull's strategy and his camp and his coaching. And, when, uh, and, I, and I know this guy, and you know him. Come on, you know him yeah. better than anybody. This yeah. is a guy that every night when he went to bed is thinking about that fight with AJ. And when he woke up, he's thinking about that fight with AJ. And it's been on his mind. It's been bugging him. And for him to get the rematch, he, he delivered and did what he had to do. Uh, it's not hyperbole, Scott, when I say he's the, the, the ment- mentally the toughest fighter I've ever seen. He's just mentally the guy just doesn't break. He never thinks he's going to lose. He puts in work like nobody else I've ever seen. What dilemmas slash opportunities does it create with Patricio Pitbull being your new 145-pound champion, AJ McKee talking about moving up, the moves made from there? Uh, what's next in your mind? I know there's some vague steps, but what are you thinking right now for both of these fighters? Well, you know, we're going to let uh, AJ kind of just, you know, cool it down for a couple of weeks and we'll start talking to him again. And same thing with Pitbull, go relax, have a vacation. And, uh, you know, how hard these camps are and how yeah. hard these fights are. To me, it's, it's, you know, it's grueling and it's a grind and, and they need to go relax for a little bit. And then we'll re-engage. And, you know, I w- personally would love to see a trilogy before the end of the year. Uh, but if AJ wants to move 55, doesn't want to cut weight, doesn't want to go down to 45 anymore because he feels like his body's, you know, too big, he can't do it. 
then, you know, Pitbull has some choices. You know, he's got, uh, uh, I think, you know, the, when you look at the rankings, uh, he's got Boric out there. Um, I think that he's got Pico out there. That would be a great fight. Uh, I think even Mads Brunel, if he wants another fight or two, could be right back in the mix. So we got great fighters at 45 to fight him uh, if AJ decides to move to 55. Will you be looking for an extension for AJ? He's talked over and over about two fights left on his deal. That was before, of course, losing to Patricio Pitbull. Is there any talk of extension with him or any thought about extension with him? Yeah, listen, AJ is a kid that uh, when, when I came to Bellator, I was at a fight. You know, watch him fight. I said, "Oh, I want to find this kid. He's, he's special, and he has that X factor." Yeah. And I think we've done a really good job building his, helping him build his career. Let's say it's always been about him because he has a skill and he's a great martial artist, and uh, he works super hard. His dad's training him well, uh, and so we've had a great relationship. And I would like to continue that relationship. Uh, and uh, you know, as soon as we get back from Hawaii, we're going to start uh, having conversations, uh, you know, about the future with AJ and us. Speaking to Scott Coker, of course, the head man over at Bellator. Uh, transitioning to Saturday, Cyborg versus Arlene Blenko. Uh, a, a fight I really want to talk to you about that I find very, very interesting is the return of Ali Malay McFarlane. Of course, huge in Hawaii, the former champ at 125. When she lost the belt, she talked about relief, that she was glad and it was kind of a weight off her shoulders and all that stuff. How do you, as a, 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 as a promoter, approach somebody who might need that mental break? Did you guys talk about her taking time off, anything like that? How did you guys discuss it, or did you at all? Yeah, we actually uh, had a conversation about, okay, listen, just pump the brakes. And then, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, injury time she needed to get healed up. And uh, But when we talked about you know, her coming back to fighting, uh, and uh, we're going to be in Hawaii uh, in April of, of this year, which we are now. It's like she was all about it, man. She wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, when you're here and you, and you, you, can, just, you, can, you can just feel like this is her community, this is her culture, this is her, this is her people, her community. So, you know, I, I think she wanted to be a part of it, and uh, I'm glad she's here. And I think that, you know, the whole island is happy she's here, and she's going to have a ton of fans uh, coming out to support her, and uh, you know we think that uh, it's going to be a great fight. And uh, if she wins, then she'll be right in line again, you know, for the title fight, uh, either uh, against Juliana or against Liz, who's her former teammate, as you know. The fight I'm looking forward to, as an X's and O's guy, as a fight guy who likes breaking things down. Patchy Mix versus Kyoji Horiguchi. These guys are one of the reasons I like this weight class, 135, is you see so many different positions, right? You have to be great at everything, a lot of stance swishing, uh, very, very technical, but a lot of knockout power. These two guys can do everything. As a promoter and as a fan, how much are you looking forward to this fight? Yeah, I, I tell you, I'm with you. It's going to be one of the, yeah. the funnest fights to watch on uh, Saturday night. And when, you, when I look at the fight that Horiguchi – uh, fought against Pettis. Look, he he was winning ninety eight percent of the fight. Then he got so good. <laughs> yeah, and and no no knock on Pettis because he's awesome and he did a great job and he did what he's supposed to do. But I I I was watching Horiguchi do things I've never seen a fighter do before. I mean, he was doing a he was coming off of a cartwheel and then punching a guy in the face. I mean, he's doing all these acrobatic moves and he's he's going to be a tough fight for anybody because he's elusive. He's hard to hit. He's going to come in great shape. And, uh, you know, Patrick Mix, I think, is going to be moving forward. Horiguchi side to side. But both these guys have a complete game. So it's going to be really interesting and, and uh, I think, very tactical. 
My last question for you, your champ, uh, of course, uh, Chris Cyborg, taking on Arlene Blanco. Mm -hmm. People talk about the Kayla Harrison fight as if co-promotion is the easiest thing in the world. Now, I was with you when you did some co-promotions. They're not easy. A lot of moving parts. What are the challenges people don't understand about bringing in talent to take on Cyborg? Yeah, when you talk about co-promotions, you know, I'll just address that. It's There's so yes. many small little details, and some of them are, could be as easy as who's going to pay for what, what production team you're going to use it. You're on a different network than we are, right? It's, you know, and then who's going to own the IP rights after the fight's over, right? There's, there's, there's a lot of yeah. details, and those things can be hammered out if need be, uh, and, uh, and, two, and the two parties are reasonable. Uh, so, and, and even when we do co-promotions with Saki Gibara in Japan, uh, yeah. We start from ground zero every time. It's not like we have this boilerplate or this template. Mm. Say, okay, this is how it's going to work. Every every time it's a new negotiation with uh, with him. So, you know, because he's he's doing his own thing and we're doing our thing. And so, to me, uh, I, I love doing it because it's a lot of fun. I think our fighters love going to Japan and and you've been there. It's like there's nothing it, like yeah. watching a fight, you know, in in, in Tokyo, uh, whether you're at the Tokyo Dome or Saitama Super Arena. It's it's fantastic. So, you know. But, uh, you know, when I think about the second part of the question about uh, opponents for Cyborg, you know, I think Liam McCourt is somebody that could potentially take that fight. Janae, uh, Janae at some point could come up, take that fight. I think a rematch for Kavanaugh. Uh, and, that's, and then we have Chad Zingano, who we brought in to come fight Cyborg. But, uh, you know, because of injuries or training or this or that, you know, there's, you just haven't put it together. But we, we look forward to hopefully putting that together very soon. Well, Scott, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Back-to-back shows. I know you got a lot of work to do, but thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, and tune in on Showtime, buddy. Always do. Two days in a row. If just to give your production team crap over the phone, I tune in every <laughs> single time. Thank you so much, man. Tell her, Give everybody my love, all right? Thanks, Jimmy. Bye-bye now. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. Sirius XM Podcasts.